Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. I am Jake Cunningham, a new host for the, for my first time here, so let's hope it doesn't go too badly. And joining me is your regular correspondent, Helen Seymour. Hi, Helen. Hello. And this week we are talking about The Childhood of a Leader, a new release which follows a, well, the childhood of a leader. Nailed it. Yeah. I mean, they really summed it up in the title, didn't they? They absolutely have. Yeah, I mean, you, you almost don't need to go and watch it, do you? Don't bother. No. Actually, we want to talk about that, talk about titles and think. Yes, because I think that is a key element of this film, is the title of it and how much information that actually gives you going into the film. Uh, we will discuss that later on, but I'd like to begin the show by um, mentioning your or asking you about your favourite recent uh, child performances in film. Over it's, the last couple of years. There's been a lot, hasn't there, of some really cracking performances. Ones that spring to mind automatically, Jacob Tremblay in Room. Yes, yeah, fantastic performance. And uh, went on to play the young Will Fort character in The Last Man on Earth on telly. Did he? Yeah, and he's very good in that as Did well. He? And he gets to uh, call him a turd. Can you see the little glint in yeah, his eye as he does it? Yeah, he's thrilled. Oh, <laughs> May anyone in The Falling love The Falling. Yep, so uh, Maisie Williams in the lead, who we know as Arya Stark from Game of Thrones. Really interesting film. A, a lot of the time, if we think of films with uh, t- that cover teenage girls, it can be a bit melodramatic, almost, and that sense of the loud teenager can be a bit overbearing yeah but everyone in that film really keeps it on a subtle level and when they do need to engage in a very angry way it doesn't seem over the top which unfortunately is something that we encounter a lot of the time i totally agree there's also an excellent bit with Maisie williams where she's telling her mom about some really bad news and she laughs as she says it because it's like she can't believe it and it's so well done it's it's really excellent um Ezra Miller in We Need to Talk About Kevin. Yep, yep, fantastic performance. Kind of similar vein of this film in a little way. Yes, definitely, and flavours of uh, Good Night Mummy in there yep. as well. Um, Ezra and Lucas Schwartz. Yep, uh, Ezra Miller we've got on screen at the moment briefly in Suicide Squad. Um, <laughs> that's the noise of 
complete and utter love for that film coming from That's him. the noise I make when I'm in love. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Ezra Miller is an interesting one because we know him from We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, he was very good in The Perks of Being a Wallflower mm-hmm. as well. And then seeing him in a role like The Flash... I think his he's got such an interesting face and like we're used to in these really interesting roles and I can't see him as a superhero. No. He's kind of the quirky off the wall doesn't fit in. Yeah. Not the hero. But we'll see. We'll see. But I hope he uh changes that perspective. I mean he probably will. But he's fantastic actor. He's ac- he's excellent. A uh, little shout out to Alex Lawther, who plays the young Alan Turing in The Imitation Game. Such a standout performance. Probably the highlight of that film. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm so excited to see what Alex Lawther does next. And what about you? Well, from that year, we also had Boyhood, which I think both of us really loved. And you've got Ella Katrain and Richard Linklater's daughter, Laura Lai who really make that film believable because a lot of that film is that you have to go with it the plot relies on you believing in these people. Yeah. They really capture that. I think Lorelai, the fact that she's acting under a dad is it perhaps even more of a challenge as well. Yeah. And so it seems a shame that it, the film ends up being called Boyhood because she's such an integral part of that film as well. Totally. And it's not, she doesn't get any, the main poster is, you know, the young boy. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was going to be called 12 Years. Oh, but then was another it? film came out. Uh, oh, began. 12 years of slave. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then it got changed to boy. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Well, I wasn't thrilled by the BFG, as people know. Well, the girl in the... I feel bad talking badly about children. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I understand what you mean. It's like you've put in a top effort. Like, yeah. That's great stuff. And I think, because I liked the BFG, and I liked the girl in it, and the same goes with Neil Sethi in The Jungle Book. A lot of people had issues with Neil Sethi in The Jungle Book. Oh, I liked him. Yeah, and yeah. I liked him a lot. And I think, because he, he acted that whole film against the green screen. Yeah. And I think you've got to give him even more credit for that, because that's amazing, that he managed to deliver that performance acting against blue rocks and shapes <laughs> and tennis balls. I think that's pretty amazing. I agree. I think uh, there's a lot of kind of really exciting child actors around kind of... You know, like you were saying, sometimes it's a bit overdramatic. But lately, I don't know what they're doing in drama school, but they're doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, um, it's I know it's TV, but uh, Stranger Things on Netflix, that's core cast is four young boys and a girl, Millie Bobby Brown, uh, as the character Eleven, who is phenomenal. She, it's such an incredible performance, and all the boys in it are so likable. It's got that that Steven Spielberg-y uh, E.T. vibe that gets you into these lives of these kids mm-hmm. like J.J. Abrams' Super 8 with Elle Fanning. Uh, as soon as these kids give a performance that feels honest, then you go with them. Yes. And it's so much easier to empathise with a child because of their innocence, because of their honesty, and you can relate to them much quicker. And if they can, that's the main thing. Yeah. If a child that can do that, then they've got you. Then it's great. You should open your own film school. <laughs> Drama school. <laughs> So The Childhood of a Leader is the debut film from Brady Corbett, uh, who's an actor. He's appeared in small roles. He uh, recently appeared in While We're Young, Noah Baumbach's film, as a a childhood friend of Adam Driver's character uh, and lots of other TV and film. This is his first effort, premiered at Venice last year, and he won an award for debut film and direction. He actually had this idea almost 10 years ago to tell this uh, to tell exactly as the title says, the 
elements or moments lifted from the childhood of someone that would become this fascisty leader that's kind of a blend. You've got Stalin-y, Hitler-y, lots of different elements. It's never explicitly stated who this person is, but that was his goal. And he had this idea a long time ago, and but just felt that's my first film it's too big i can't possibly go out and do that as my first thing but then eventually he got talked into it by his wife and here we have this wonderful grand decaying beautiful film it's stunning (laughs) (laughs) oh there's so much so rich there's so much to devour Mm. it's like a horror that slowly like crawls up your leg and And the awful thing about it is that it's so relatable Mm -hmm. and you feel like was I like that as a child and then could I be a fascist leader oh no (laughs) what have I done (laughs) because it's so it's set in there's three main parts and then a coda at the end. And there's over, an overture at the an start. An overture at the start, that's it. And the three main parts are set into, they're called tantrums, which just totally belittles <laughs> the whole thing and makes it so relatable. Mm. And uh, we were saying right at the beginning, it's maybe a little on the nose. Yes, the yeah, this was actually, this is the first thing that I wrote down on my notebook. So we've got the name of the film and then the first thing that we actually see um, of any form of person because prior to that there's dark images and historical archival footage of war um but we see tom sweet as this as prescott this young child in an angel costume preparing for his nativity play and when i saw that i kind of felt like oh perhaps this film isn't going to be very subtle it's Mm -hmm. going to be kind of hammering you over the head with what it's trying to achieve but I think, in reality, that's only one of the moments where it's slightly overbearing. And the way it's shot and everything, almost kind of, I forgive it for that, because it's so beautiful. It's through this window with a candlelight in this dark winter, and you go straight from that, um, and then he does something very unangelic. So I do think it works. There's also the soundtrack. Oh, my goodness. Yes, so this is Scott Walker, who's an avant-garde um, artist who uses sound he's been from he's quite an old chap now he's in his 70s and these baroque staccato strings just sets you straight on edge yeah I loved it yeah <laughs> yeah um, very uh, a lot of flavours of Johnny Greenwood's work for There Will Be Blood um, just these just contrasting high and low notes no mid-tones and it just it scrapes up your back it's yeah. nails on a chalkboard and it really sets the tone for the whole film just from those opening bars. It's a very, it is a dark in terms of tone film, but it's also a very dark film visually. Mm. It, there's a lot of shadow play. There's a lot of candlelight, as you've already mentioned. And I think that really helps the film in terms of not kind of knowing what's going on or why. Um, but it just, and the confusion between the parents and the child. And it's in this big old house with rooms that you're not quite sure. You know, not every room is filled, not every box is ticked kind of Mm. feeling of there's something lurking around the corner and no one can quite get a grip or get a hold or a closeness of one another. 
and that sets the film so well. And you, the first thing you said about it was like this decaying, like the house is quite old and decaying in itself. I think there's only a few shots outside and some yeah. of them are through this strange fish eye. Yeah, it seems easy to, anything with a strange building, it's easy to compare it to The Shining because The Shining has no sense of uh, geography within it. There are rooms that don't go anywhere or there is uh, the layout of the hotel in The Shining doesn't make any sense and that go, that plays into the mental instability mm. of the lead character. But we've got the similar thing going on here. Yeah, We see the outside of the house but at no point can we really tell where any event is taking place. Like there is a, a set of staircase that get trampled up and down in yeah. the way that a child will do, and that's the only really that's the only real place that we know. Because then we'll see a room that feels very grand that's been done up for a party or something, and you think, have they moved house? Yeah. Like, is this a condi- are they like? Is this are they gone to someone's house? For yeah. Dinner? <laughs> yeah. And these and these are different rooms all the time, and you really get a sense that this is a big, big house that is empty and. They've got these grand beds and these grand tables and cutlery and plates, but all the walls are peeling. Yeah. And it must be it'd be a terribly scary place to be a child in. So intimidating. Yeah. I think mentioning The Shining and saying, well, because what we don't want to do is be like, well, it's been done in The Shining type thing. I think using a location or a house in that way is just so good. Mm. It's just one of those things that I think you can get away with doing rather than being like, oh, they did that in The Shining. Yep. It's it's just a fundamental, brilliant way of conveying a message. Yes. And I think another film that I'd like to draw it to is uh, The White Ribbon, which, talking of childhood, child performances, there's some children in that that are excellent. Michael Haneke's um, film... And this, uh, the childhood of a leader is set during the signing of the Treaty of Versailles, so the end of World War One. And in the White Ribbon, you've got this post-conflict town. Lots of things are going wrong, and the ch- a lot sometimes the child are to blame for that. And a lot of the time, perhaps they're not. It's never truly established who is doing the bad things, and it's not obvious who's to blame for this the rise of this leader or what will eventually be the rise of this leader because you've got um, the relationship with the mother the father the maid Uh, it's a lot of layers going into who actually built this character I think there's been quite a few films that do this question of who's to blame recently like Goodnight Mummy looks at it in terms of the um, mother-son relationship and uh, we need to talk about Kevin is obviously a huge like the whole film the whole book um, by Lionel Shriver is about that um, and this looks at it but not in such an intense way I feel and I feel a lot of times with these questions there's never one person and in this film the scariest bit is you can't point your finger at anyone it just seems to be this thing that's bubbling up of its own accord. And yes, there are certain things that are upping the temperature, but in general, there's this unknown element that mm. is making this boy the way he is. Yeah, and th- this is a really interesting idea of uh, the evil of children. Yes. Um, because because children are perhaps undeveloped completely in society and they don't have complete awareness of their actions, a lot of the time how evil they are they don't understand and can be quite cutting and quite brutal 
Um, I'm reminded of The Hunt with Mads Mikkelsen, directed by Thomas Vinsberg. And in that film, a child accuses Mads Mikkelsen's character of being a paedophile when he's not, not fully understanding how big of a statement that actually is and the repercussions of that. And I think uh, that could be evident in the childhood of a leader in that there are big moments that feel like small moments to the child, but they will have a greater, grander effect on the people around him and him as a whole. Do you think there's a certain amount of the idea that uh, the gap between children and adults is so huge in terms of understanding that there's an amount of kind of um, the adult not understanding what a small act that is mm. for the child and not reacting accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And I think uh, we talked about the way that Todd Solondz, uh writes for yeah. ad- the relationship between adults and children. And in his films like Wiener Dog or Happiness, the adults talk to the children in a very blunt, honest way as if they are grown-ups themselves. And we've got the reverse of that here. This is clearly an intelligent child that is aware of his surroundings slightly. He has some sense of what's going on. This is just at the end of World War One. He's at the age where he's asking questions about himself and the world, but he's still being treated like a younger child than he is. Definitely. So I mentioned the fisheye shots. Yes. What was that about? Yes, this was something... Oh, you, you asked me. I was going to ask you, because I don't know. <laughs> I ain't got a clue, mate. <laughs> no. Uh, these are really... So there's one of these in each of the acts. Yes. There's just one, I yeah. believe. Um, so the child is going on a walk, goes on a walk with his French teacher, played mm-hmm. by Stacey Martin, who is excellent in She's the role. Outstanding. Um, and then, as they're walking, we suddenly get this fisheye shot, which is out of style with the rest of the film. It's out of context from the scene because it's a completely different camera placement to any of the others. It's from the other side of the field that they're walking on. They are minor in the shot. They're very small at the bottom of the screen and you've got these warped edges from the fisheye. And then it goes back to the scene Mm. and he's become very angry. Mm. And then in the second act, we have a similar thing that focuses on uh, from, again, outside of the camera placements of the main scene. The fisheye then comes from the opposite end of the table that they're sitting at during the French lesson and this shot reveals that Stacey Martin isn't wearing anything under her shirt. Mm -hmm. But again, from a different point of view, I thought perhaps they're trying to draw attention to key moments. Yes. I thought maybe a kind of... When people look back on his life as a whole, the kind of warped history, trying to make sense of it, might be part of it Mm. in terms of you try and think oh was it something to do with you know you always hear these stories about these leaders that when they were younger they you know it is that type of thing oh he would often walk with his French teacher and there was one occasion where he got incredibly angry and and that this story kind of is used as a kind of evidence I think to separate them from other people as well. Mm. We try and pinpoint these things that separate them from us. We want to distance themselves. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From humanity. Yes. I want to say, are they, but they're not really one of us, are yeah. they? Yeah. They, uh, they did this thing that's inhuman. Yes. And that means it's okay for us to distance themselves from us. Because we never did that, did yeah, we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're yeah. creepy. They're really horrible. The one where they're walking, mm. it's a very disturbing image. Yeah, it almost feels two. like the point of view of an alien or yes. a fly. Yeah, yeah. fly. Mm. Mm. Um, and the actual look of the film, it's quite a muted film. Mm. Uh, it's You could say that the settings take place in winter, spring and summer. Yeah. But it begins with a misty blue, very desaturated... Uh, pale look and it does get warmer as the film goes on uh, which is a nice contrast to the actual uh, plot of the film as he himself becomes much darker and much colder and crueler yeah Uh, um, it's full of little touches like that that just make it so brilliant yeah and the the cinematography combined with the editing the editing uh is really interesting in that it lets moments that you don't expect land and cuts quickly elsewhere mm-hmm. so there are bits where the camera will linger on the bottom of a staircase or linger on a window and you're unsure perhaps why it's doing this and then later as the film goes on there is a particular moment where the camera stays in a shot for a while and you're not quite sure why and then your eyes bounce around and you figure out exactly what's going on but because of the editing earlier in the film it doesn't feel alien Mm. it doesn't feel like we must be looking out for something it's very subtly done yeah there's a particularly good nightmare scene as well early on which is just of a building that is horrible Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, there's, and the music again, Scott yeah. Walker. There, the music of nightmares, really mm. wonderful stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as we started, we mentioned child performances and Tom Sweet in this film, who is uh, Prescott, the lead character. Uh, if, do you want to talk about him for a moment? Wow, is basically all I want to say. <laughs> um, really subtly performed. Every line is kind of measured and controlled as he gets more control of the adults within the film. Um, Everything about his performance, his eyes in it are so dark and so mysterious. Also, I I shouldn't give him credit for this, but his face is very (laughs) good for the film and that sort of long blonde hair. Yeah, it's very angelic face. Yeah, 
exactly. Um, He's and constantly being told that he looks like a girl. Yes, which he gets very angry about. Yeah. There's also quite a lot of physical acting that he yes. does, which is very difficult to do, and he does it incredibly yeah. well. And one thing I think a lot of actors will tell you is that the the hardest thing in comedy is timing. Mm-hmm. And this kid's timing is incredible. There is a particular moment where he won't eat his dinner. Mm-hmm. And he just slides the slides the plate over and Helen winces at that moment like that's such a that's not a vicious thing like in any other film someone sliding their plate over the table but it's just it's all in the delivery yeah and it's like a dagger it, it that is one of the moments where you're like oh like literally he's not gonna eat his dinner yeah like you're on the edge of your seat because this like eight year old kid won't finish his peas <laughs> And that's all you want, and he won't do it. And it's terrifying yeah. that he won't. Yeah. That's something that makes it, like we mentioned earlier, like there's a lot of em- you have a lot of empathy for this kid because you did those things, and it makes you feel awful about it because you know who this kid grows up to be. And later on, when he mimics his dad, Ugh. like, just go to your room, and then there's a small moment, and he just screams it back at him. And then runs away. And because he's run away, the dad is defeated. Exactly. And this kid has won just by doing the most juvenile <laughs> thing. But also there's a certain way that he says, go go to your room. There's an emphasis that I can't, I'm not going to be able to mimic now. That is just slightly, it shows that intelligence. Yeah. So it's not, ju- it is a juvenile game, but with just this cutting edge of a boy who really knows what he's doing. Yeah. And um, another top line that I really I thought was very funny but very cruel is the uh, French teacher coming up to him as, after he's locked himself in his room and he just says, I'm busy, come back in three days. Uh, as if he's just, like, she's just a secretary, yeah. she's nothing. And all he's, he's just sitting in his room doing nothing. Exactly. And everyone in the house knows he's doing nothing. But, but how does busy. he win? Yeah. Because he's small. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow he's found a way to do it mm. and he knows what he's doing. And it's like he won't get dressed and he's in this dressing gown and that's terrifying. Mm. And it is that thing of like, I think a lot in society, this idea that children are innocent and we can control them and this whole thing. And it is that fear of like, well, what do you do if they just say no? Because often as adults and if you're a parent, it's kind of about playing this game where, okay, well, we're going now. Well, you can't go because mm. you're the one in control. Like you're the one responsible. They have the power and he's realised he's got the power. And at the minute that he's realised that, it's game over. Yeah. So I think there's a lot in there to talk about uh, in terms of spoilers. Yes. Uh, So I think we will perhaps move on to that now. Uh, So if you haven't watched this film, do go and seek it out. Uh, It is a small release, um, but do try and find it. It's wonderful. Um, Tom Sweet, as we've mentioned, is fantastic. But the supporting cast, Liam Cunningham, who is Sir Davos from Game of Thrones, um, Berenice Bayo, who you would know from uh, The Artist, Stacey Martin from Nymphomaniac and Tale of Tales, uh, Robert Pattinson, who who needs no introduction. 
does he not old R Pats um, but it's a really great really great cast and but Tom Sweet really takes takes the limelight yeah. from all of them but do go and find it and then once you've watched it come back now and we'll be talking about third act revelations and any other spoilers okay so the big spoiler of the film I think comes in the title of it yeah it's a shame yeah because imagine watching it and then seeing that end and being like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. But I think a lot of it is because in the modern era, you can't make a film and have nobody know about it. Sure. It just doesn't happen anymore. Like You had 10 Cloverfield Lane, which came out earlier this year. It was only in, it released in March. It was only announced in January. But even prior to that, we knew that there was a John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Winstead film that involved both of them being trapped in a basement. It already existed. Yeah. This film couldn't have been made. Robert Pattinson can't sign up for a film and for the press not to have some bit of meat to mm. go on. And I think if you actually, you try and sell this film without telling people what it's actually about, how do you do it? Yeah. I think it's impossible and I think that is why they've done it that way and to be honest it's probably if I you know if I was just sitting watching um, trying to look for something to watch this is the hook that got me in mm. in terms of oh it's kind of about like a childhood of a fascist leader yeah. you know that is the thing that say oh I'll give it a go I can't see another way of being hooked into it yeah yeah and it doesn't it doesn't ruin it no. because I think it's an outstandingly good film and I think the end is really good and the way that it does it in there's this horrendous kind of dizzying shot with that music that mm. just makes you so feel this like is you're going to throw in up in which the uh, the end of the film the Tom Sweet's eventual incarnation as this fascist leader is revealed and you have this swooping swinging camera set in the crowd of his horde of chance for him and then it just cuts to black and it's really a fantastic shot to end on but it is just a shame that we you sit through this wonderful film about childhood and behavior and uh, relationships between parents and how relatable it is for us to then at the end reveal that that childhood is of this dictator would be such a reveal. Yeah. It would, be, it, would it almost be too much? Would it be unbelievable? Well, would it be a bit like, oh, he was bad and they've just decided that... He's, he's a big fascist. He, yeah, maybe it would. Yeah. But um, then may- that's no bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing if you can't totally describe a film in 50 words or whatever, you know? If you yeah. can't... Not every film is going to play well in marketing... And that doesn't mean it's a bad film. Yeah. It normally means the opposite, probably. Yeah. Um, And I think the end... So this is the epilogue of the film. And this is also the area that we find, I think, for both of us, the biggest issue in the film. And so we've we've only really sung its praises so far. Um, But at the end of the film, we see inside the car of the eponymous leader... And the leader is played by Robert Pattinson. So this is the older version of Tom Sweet. And Robert Pattinson is actually in the first scene of the film in which there is her dialogue 
and he is a friend of Liam Cunningham's father. Uh, he's not in the film a lot. He's got about two or three scenes. Yeah. And then we see him as the leader at the end. So this... Which did confuse me a little bit. Yeah. And I think... So what it's going for is that uh, the child is actually Robert Pattinson's. It didn't feel like there was any evidence of that. No. No. It took me a while to be like... Like, I was just a bit confused. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that our Pats? That's our Pats. Our Pats with a delightfully shaved head. Yeah. And good beard. Really, really solid good beard. beard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the time when you're making a film, you can get tunnel vision and you know the script back to front and you almost feel like everyone else knows the Such script back to front. Such a common mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And so they get to the end of the film and then it's like, they watch it and think, oh, we didn't actually really make it clear that there was some form of affair between yeah. the mother and the friend. There, There is elements at the start. Yeah, and there's kind of a bit with her and the husband that kind of indicates that she doesn't want to have sex with him anymore. Yeah. And you can kind of piece it together when but, you look back on it. But perhaps there aren't enough puzzle pieces. Yeah to build a full picture I I would agree <laughs> yeah um, and it and I think this is why the epilogue also has the title card mm-hmm. that says uh, Prescott the bastard yeah because it's it, it literally spells it out for you yeah because otherwise it would perhaps be a bit too confusing totally yeah yeah and these title cards are actually wonderful little clues throughout the film of um, sort of wetting your appetite it's a dragon yes so this is uh, the title card for uh, tantrum three is uh, or the third tantrum quote it's a dragon and uh, we mentioned in the main body of the show a, a lingering shot where the camera just holds for a moment we've already seen this before on minute details and so we're used to this pacing but then in the corner of the shot we see a candle hit a curtain and gradually start catching fire. And so you think, oh, totally get it. This kid, he's responsible for burning down the house and the parents are inside it and they're all dead and he's killed all the people that were signing the Treaty of Versailles. <laughs> yeah, and oh, it totally is. This is it. This is where it's all coming together. And then the camera cuts away and there's, yeah. there's no, no development on the fire at all. Yeah, it's fine. Probably yeah. just lost a curtain. Yeah. Didn't even notice. Yeah. It gives you a lot of uh, little nibbles of maybe this is what made him. Yes. This, maybe this is this is the moment that made him. This yes. is the moment that made him. This is the moment. And it's just saying there is not one moment that defines a person. Totally. And as we said, you know, it's it would be great for us who are scarily relating to him if, oh, I never set my house on fire. <laughs> he never does that, though. Yeah. He does the stuff that kids do. Yeah. And that is such a clever move in the writing of this. Yeah, and it will leave you thinking for days and days about things you've done as a child and just feel awful about them. Speak for yourself, Jake. Oh, were you an angel? Did you finish every meal, did you? I did. (laughs) Never slid that plate over. Never did the copycat game. I never done it. Never run up the stairs. I never run. (laughs) Uh, but I think with this kind of film, because of the name of it, uh, that is the old, that's the end end point. So yeah. you know what the end is from the start. Um, 
I would like to talk about Metrodome. Yes. If that's all right. Uh, unless there was any other spoilers or any other things no. from the film you'd like to it's discuss. It's incredibly rich and I think you need to see it basically because we're just talking about all these details that are so rich and together please do yourself a favour if you see the film. Yep, uh, it does have this wonderful contrast of grand beds and as we mentioned yeah. earlier lots of uh, paintings and frames and candlesticks. And so many metaphors that we've not even touched on here. Oh, you, there's there's a lot to go into, it's a very it, it feels like it's a heavy film but it's not really yeah. it manages to be heavy but bubble along as well you can really lose yourself into it and the sets feel like uh photo shoots for anthropology or something mm-hmm. you can totally imagine them um like being on the front of poetry or and they're flavors of the english patient as well nice. in the um de- this post-war decaying property uh that people are kind of having to pretend is a home when it's really just out of place and out of time. Talk about Metrodome. Yeah. Uh, So Metrodome is the distributor of this film. And sadly, this week, they announced that they were going into administration. And it's a real shame because they're a wonderful distributor. Uh, They've put out The Childhood of a Leader, Down Terrace, Ben Wheatley's first film, Evolution, uh, Lucille Hadzahalovich's film from earlier this year, um, it's got The Falling, which we've mentioned earlier, uh, Feston, Thomas Vinterberg's film from the 90s, Francis Ha, Noah Baumbach's film, one of my favourites, The Grandmaster by Wong Kar Wai, you've got Luca Guadagnino's I Am Love, you've got um, Mummy, you've got Tangerine, so many wonderful films released by Metronome, and it's a real shame to see them uh, go into administration this week, and so I would encourage everyone to seek out those films if you can and it's a real shame to see another distributor that's giving us independent art house film that we desperately need in the UK go under couldn't put it better myself a real really upsetting actually yeah um, so it's a real, real shame to see them go so as a last hurrah do go and watch The Childhood of a Leader because it is fantastic and it stands for everything that Metrodome did. Um, just some, something different, but something grand. And please just go out and watch it. Yeah. So, any anything, any final thoughts on the film? I really think you put it. I couldn't put it any better. It's it's really excellent. Treat yourself. Go yeah. and see That's it. That's it. It's a real treat. It's a treat. Yeah. It's it's uh, in every way. Uh, it's a feast for the senses. <laughs> Except maybe not taste, because the food in it, I mean, Prescott pushes it away. I mean, I would too. It didn't look very nice. Um, <laughs> no, but it looks great. It sounds great. And uh, it really whips you right into it. And it's um, a great story that will leave you thinking for a long, long time. So um, thanks a lot to CSR for letting us use their studio as usual and do go and uh, check out those other Metrodome films on Curzon Home Cinema if you can Uh, until next time uh, I've been Jake Cunningham and with me Helen Seymour goodbye bye bye